1: To download the reading plan for Confessions, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text confessions to 33777. Click follow or subscribe in your podcast app for daily notifications. Today we will be beginning book nine of the Ascension edition of Confessions. This bonus episode is an introduction to the reflections that you'll hear for the next few days.
0: We wanted to take this opportunity to thank everyone who has helped support this podcast financially. Your support is so appreciated and helps us to reach as many people as possible. And if you haven't already, please consider supporting us at ascensionpress.com support. All right, let's get started. In the name of the Father, and of the
1: Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love but what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, here we are. Book nine. As I've asked at the beginning of some of these books, Father Gregory, are you ready?
0: I am ready. Yeah. I feel like it's downhill sledding at this point. Not to say that the whole point of this podcast is to have successfully completed the confessions. Obviously, we have something more uh, elevated in mind, namely our ongoing conversion. But uh, that being said, sometimes it's nice to finish things and uh, I feel like we're cruising. So maybe about halfway through page-wise, but it feels like we're, we're further along because of the events that have transpired. Great, so we're gonna continue <laughs> to ski downhill, not uphill, or cross hill, <clears throat> that's good.
1: <laughs> so book nine, here we go, St. Augustine has converted. He's receiving the sacraments. Now, and not by himself. He's received into the church with his son and with his friend Olypius, who we've spoken about, who we've been introduced to already. So that's going to be a big part here of what's going on, um, their reception of the sacraments, some life changes that come following his his reception into the church is becoming Catholic, um, namely that he's going to resign his position as a, a teacher of rhetoric. And uh, those are, I guess that's kind of where we're starting. So Father Gregory, any thoughts, reflections, anticipatory reflections on St. Augustine finally receiving the sacraments, becoming a Catholic?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, you have the the positives and the negatives to speak in overly simple terms, but the people that come along with him, you know, it's very moving to see him accompanied by those whom he loves most. Obviously, St. Monica is already Christian, so she's out in front. Uh, But then, like you said, Deodatus and Olypius, and he makes mention of his other friends who are kind of working their way in that direction or come along shortly thereafter or receive the sacraments and then die. Speaking of the man who has the house there at Cassiacum, where they are for some time prior to, yeah, moving along down to Africa in due course. But then on the negative side, uh, you see He has to step back from his teaching post and yeah his his kind of meditation on how best to do it is very i don't know it's very simple but it's also very heartening Uh, but still you see the human cost of conversion now mind you he hasn't been entirely comfortable in this situation for you know, months and years because he feels himself to be something of a sophist in that he's teaching people how to argue, but he's not necessarily teaching them how to argue for the truth or to come to a knowledge and appreciation of the truth. So you see that conflict and you see the difficulty of the decision, but you also see how it liberates him. I personally have not experienced this in the same way, but um, when talking to people who are thinking about, you know, quote unquote, crossing the Tiber, uh, who might pertain to a Protestant ecclesial communion are thinking about becoming Roman Catholic. And maybe most of their life is bound up with, you know, their faith in the sense that they're very involved at church or all of their relationships are with people who share the same commitments and things like that. And and it's not just like, oh, you know, I thought about God this way and now I'm going to think about God this way. It's like, mm-mm, your whole life is about to change. And that causes great fear, trepidation, anxiety, sadness, all of which is appropriate. But you see in the life of St. Augustine that if you trust in the Lord, Uh, you know, you'll mount up on wings of eagles and you will walk and not faint. You'll run and not grow weary. And we see him go from grace to grace, not in the sense that positive emotions abound. I mean, he's circled about on every side by barbarians at the gates who are trying to destroy him and everything for which he's working. And yet still, you know, the Lord is his strength and the Lord is his consolation. So it's beautiful.
1: Yeah, it's I think this reality of of having to change your life in order to be a disciple of Christ is real for everybody. But uh, perhaps the example of someone thinking about converting it makes the point all the more clear. You know, because it's a it's a bit it can be a lot more to leave, as you've described, a whole what support system, family, way of living. All of this sort of, you know, these things behind in order to pursue Christ in the, in the church. And that's not to say that those things won't grow in the church, you know, after conversion, but obviously those things take time and, as you described, are scary. But it also shows to us that even in our day to day pursuit of Christ, our own sort of daily conversion, we're not um, exempt from the reality that our lives need to change and continually change and mature and grow so as to be a disciple of Christ, perhaps not in such profound ways as a convert or as St. Augustine, but St. Augustine's conversion and his, you know, leaving behind his job, his his change of all of this, it's its just a reminder to us that there, there's a cost to be with Christ. Um, and that's not to say we shouldn't pursue him because there is a cost, but there is a cost. And I mean, Christ is is greater than what's left behind. So it's, it's not as if we're getting something less in our following Christ, but it's a challenge. It can be a challenge. And I think it's good to recognize that. And we shouldn't, I don't think we should just be tempted to over-spiritualize it and say, oh, well, you know, take up your cross and just get on with it. It's like, well, yeah, take up your cross, but also recognize the difficulty, but that there's support and the difficulty and especially in the church and in Christ and in his sacraments and his grace and the other Christians who are pursuing him. So yeah, it, it made in reading and rereading and listening again to St. Augustine's not debate, but wrestle with how to handle this move in his life. It's it rings true and is kind of like wildly human. So yeah, it's it can be tough, but it's beautiful in in the difficulty. One of the other things that Saint Augustine reflects on here in, in book nine and that is good for us to recall and remember and prepare to read as we go through the chapters is is the reality and the necessity of the church as as Saint Augustine will rightly point out, you know the sacraments and the grace that Christ leaves us in virtue of his death and resurrection is is mediated and guarded and kept safe by the church. So Christ gives us himself in the sacraments and to be a disciple of Christ means to receive Christ in the sacraments. So hence baptism and baptism into the body of Christ, into the church. What rings here for me is this sort of idea of being spiritual, but not ecclesial in a sort of way. And that just doesn't ring true with like kind of capital T. So I don't know. What do you think here?
0: Yeah. I mean, This is related and unrelated, I suppose, but some of the stories that I found most potent in this chapter, I mean, obviously the stories that we'll talk about at the end of the episode uh, with St. Monica's kind of upbringing and spiritual maturation and then eventually her death. But um, some of these stories in the middle there uh, about St. Ambrose. And, you know, you have this particular emperor who converts to Arianism. And then I think it's like either his wife or his mother is putting pressure on the Christians to accommodate the Arians in some of the major imperial cities. And you're hearing about how St. Ambrose basically has a sit-in at the major cathedrals, basilicas, churches of the archdiocese or the diocese of Milan at the time. And there's this sense here that St. Augustine has found the true faith. It exists within the setting of the church. And there are those within the church who are willing... To stand up for the church, who are willing to welcome him into the church and also impress upon him how very real or how very important are the spiritual goods that he has embraced in this setting, in this institutional setting, right? In this interpersonal setting, however you want to describe it. But sometimes, you know, you go from one thing to another and you can be disappointed because you expected more on the other side. And I think, you know, in the 21st century, a lot of people find it difficult to convert to Christianity, to convert to Catholicism specifically uh, because of some aspects, you know, of the church that might be considered and are justly considered scandalous or confusing or bewildering or bemusing, however you want to describe it. But then when you come and you cross the threshold or you pass through the door, uh, you find therein saints, real saints, and the saints who are willing to you know, love the Lord and love his church and do what it takes to express that love. And one of the effects of love is zeal. And zeal opposes all obstacles, which would get in the way of love's attainment. And so, th- yeah, this gives you a new aspect too on St. Ambrose, that as St. Augustine takes this step towards the church and its fully ecclesial dimension, that he is welcomed within by those who say, yep, yeah, it's worth it. You know, We weren't just trying to tempt you like, or lure you in among our ranks so that we could have a great rhetor among us. No, it's like, your good depends upon it, and we're going to show you that fact because if you're willing to commit to it, you know, we'll show you that we ourselves are committed to it and are continually willing to commit to it. So I, I was very struck by some of those stories at the middle of the book.
1: Yeah, and as you've said, it just... It shows forth the love of the church that these people in Milan have. And I've experienced it in my own life, witnessing other people's love for the church, despite whatever kind of warts she might have. Um, yeah, it's it's a powerful thing. Book nine, um, we're going to look at the, kind of the end, right? So this is the last of this sort of straightforward autobiographical books of the Confessions, and we're we're left here to journey with Augustine through sort of one more trial of his life, and dare I say, one of the more difficult trials of his life, um, and that's the death of his mother, Saint Monica. You know, as we've gotten to know Saint Monica a bit through the reading of the Confessions, we know that she has been wholly devoted to working to praying to shedding tears for the conversion of her son and here in book nine saint augustine recounts a bit of saint monica's early life her childhood her marriage just who kind of gives us a a kind of brief biography of who his of who his mom was and how he sees his mom and understands her to be a holy woman a woman after christ a woman after her son for christ so yeah and, and in that we enter into St. Augustine's grief and hear the way that he grieves and the way that Deodatus grieves. And I was going to say it's just sad. It is sad. I find it to be sad. Um, but there's a joy and a beauty that in, in her holiness and her her going to God, but it, it's, it's sad too. I don't know if you had the same reaction or what. But
0: Yeah, I think um, you can compare it to Augustine's sadness at the loss of his friend in book four, The Unnamed Friend from Carthage who fell into a sickness, uh, lost consciousness, was baptized, recovered. St. Augustine was like, baptism, crazy, right? That was silly. And then his friend rebukes him and then subsequently falls sick again and dies. And then he kind of raves and moans and groans and, you know, does whatever else one does in a state of compromised rationality uh, at the loss of his friend. But then he goes back and says, yeah, I think I was a little uh, overboard with that. That sadness still has a place. It's not to say, okay, you're with the Lord, I'm with the Lord here in the state of grace, you're with the Lord there, perhaps in the state of glory at this stage. So we're basically, you know, members of the body of Christ and nothing's really changed. I mean, that's that's just not true. I think that as Christians, we still experience the loss of those whom we love with great acuity, with great terror, because as Aristotle says, uh, the most terrible of punishments is death because it, it robs you of everything. And for those whom you leave behind, it robs them of you. And yeah, I think that we can simply state within Christian bounds that we don't need to overinterpret our experience in the way that one might piously say, okay, she's with the Lord. I ought to be happy for her because this represents a greater good. And while I might be deprived of her, that would be selfish of me to want her presence in this, that, or the other way. No, it's just, I lost my mother, period. You know, you can kind of leave it at that. And there's a simplicity to it, which permits you to be honest before the Lord. And I think that as we walk with St. Augustine, we're trying to walk with him into a deeper fidelity, into a deeper honesty in our lives of prayer. And I think this is one instance in which his you know, sincerity, his authenticity before the Lord is a grace for us or is an opportunity for us to be such. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, we've kind of, I, I, book nine, I found to kind of be a roller coaster of emotion and Kind of joy and grief and sadness but all the while underpinned and girded and founded in the lord Um, so there's also as you know as you just mentioned the death of his friend from book four there's there's a difference here and that's the surety of christ in augustine's life and that's that's palpable and that's yeah the whole of the confessions is is a praise and thanksgiving and confession of augustine's praise and thanksgiving and reliance and faith in the Lord but in some way book nine brings that really to the fore and Agustin doesn't you know he praises the Lord he worships the Lord he gives thanks but he doesn't do it in a way that's sort of on the nose you just see that alive in his life in his coming to the church and his sort of admiration for those who stand up for the church in his trust in the Lord and the death of his mother and the sadness of the death of his mother all the while sort of relying not on his strength but on the lord so for me it's it's bolstering it encourages me um to grow to grow in faith to grow in hope to grow in love so hopefully as we turn the pages it will for you too father gregory any any final thoughts here before we get into book nine proper in the coming episodes
0: uh nothing big nothing that we haven't said so looking forward to reading with you listeners all right,
1: well we'll leave it there. So tune in to the next episode as we as we crack open book 9 in the meantime. Know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us and we will catch you next time on Catholic Classics.